All right, guys. Well, like I said, you are in for a treat this morning. We actually have a guest speaker in the house from Antioch Community Church right up the road in Waco. Uh, many of you guys know that we are a part of a um, movement of churches. It's almost 100 churches all around the world, and um, Waco is sort of uh, where it all began. Um, and the, the, the man that you're going to hear from this morning has been a part of it from the very beginning. I believe it's 28 years or something like that. He's been knit in from the early, early days, um, and he is going to fire us up today, and it is going to be powerful. So without further ado, let me introduce you guys to Mr. Trey Green. Give him a hand, guys. Come on. So if you knew all about what this man had uh, surrendered and sacrificed for the sake of Jesus and the Antioch movement, we probably all would have been jumping out of our chairs and screaming, but we'll leave that for later on. Um, Trey is the director of mobilization for the Antioch movement worldwide, which means his job is to try to kick people uh, and get them to go and surrender their whole lives to Jesus and um, say yes wherever he's calling them. He also uh, is the director of the church planning school in Waco, um, and he's got a powerful word for us this morning. You guys ready? Yeah. Give it up for him one more time. Yeah, come on. I am Trey Green, and this beautiful woman sitting here on the front row, right here, is my wife, Leanne. Uh, we've been, oh, you can woo. Come on! Okay, I live for your feedback, and so it is okay for you to talk to me while I'm up here. It makes me feel loved. It's kind of a secondary love language for me, so don't be embarrassed to shout out or laugh or yell or whatever you want to do. <laughs> Thank you, baby. I also have my daughter, Lydia. She's my youngest. She's 12 years old. And my mother-in-law, Sharon, is here as well. Uh, I have three other daughters, Maddie, who is a freshman at UCLA. Yeah, I know, I know, the pain is real. And Cameron, who is a freshman at Baylor. Yeah, there is just no love. Come on, anybody? No. All right. And then Laura is a freshman in high school in Waco. <clears throat> I, I have been, now please don't Swaco. Let's at least have a little love there. Thank you, thank you. Um, so I have been with this movement for 27 years. Um, Antioch was birthed out of a church in Waco called Highland Baptist Church, and in 1990, I showed up there for the very first time. I went into a service, everybody was raising their hands, and I left before it was over, because that was weird. <laughs> but somehow, I made my way back, and I was jumped into a college department, which at that time was 40 or 50 strong, led by a man named Jimmy Seibert, and he began to invest in us and challenge us, and and just as I was sitting here looking around the room, it is so amazing to see what started from such a small thing has now grown into congregations meeting all over the United States and all over the world. And it is just an incredible picture to see this full auditorium and know that the faithful choices of men and women before have made this possible and your faithful choices, what will that make possible? What will that make possible? Something amazing, I'm sure. <sighs> you know, a couple weeks ago, if you were here, Tyler was talking about Bilbo Baggins. Do you remember this? Hobbits, for some reason, translate into sermons really, really well. I think we can relate. 
And Bilbo's having a conversation with Gandalf, who's trying to get him to get out of the Shire and to go on mission. And he says, Bilbo. I am not going to do the Gandalf voice, even though I kind of look like him. Uh, <clears throat> said, Bilbo, when did your mother's doilies and her dishes become so important to you? Do you remember that? It's this little statement to try to urge him to get out the door. Now, I want to move us forward a little bit. After Bilbo has gone out and slain a dragon, and now he's sitting with Frodo, I want, to hear what you, I, want, I want you to hear what he says to him. He looks at him and he says, it's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Because you see, adventure, saying yes, had fundamentally changed who Bilbo was. He was no longer the fearful one. He was now the one who was speaking life and mission and vision into Frodo. See, living on mission changes you. And that's what we're going to talk about today, living on mission. And as I was praying for you guys this morning, the word invitation was the word the Lord kept saying. And the picture that I got was of standing in line to ride your first roller coaster when you're seven or eight years old. Anyone remember that experience? Usually you're with a group of peers who have already done it, and you're there just trying to prove you can keep up. You know, you're like, I just got to go to the bathroom and all those things that you're doing to try to make excuses for why you may not get on this ride, but you know that you've hit the point of inevitability when the lap band is fastened and the train starts to go. At that point, regardless of your protests, your yes is then secure, and you're in for adventure. And that is what the Lord is speaking over you this morning. He's inviting you to sit down and put your lap belt on and let the adventure begin. Will you lock yourself in to what he has for you, his good plans and purposes, and see what happens? I really love the mission statement of this church. It is fantastic. It says, to make disciples of Jesus who transform towns and nations. It is good. There is a promise over this tribe, and you are invited to be a part of it. Do you realize what that means? Because every single person in this room, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, as a disciple of Jesus, what does that qualify you to do? According to the mission statement of the tribe you've chosen to join, you are now qualified to change nations and towns. Are you ready? Oh, I don't think so. This, come on. Are you ready? Do you understand? The significance of what God has spoken over your movement. Today we're going to talk about how to live on mission. And this tribe lives on mission. It's going to be fun. Are you ready? All right, we shall see. So the question then is, how do we live on mission? And guess what? I know the answer. I do. I know the answer, and it's very, very simple, and it's only one word. You know what that one word is? Three little letters, Y-E-S. How do we live on mission? We carry a yes in our heart to the things that Jesus speaks over us. When I was 15 years old, I grew up in a church that taught the Bible really, really well, but didn't teach that we could actually hear the voice of God. And so imagine my surprise at age 15 when he spoke to me. 
all of a sudden I'm sitting in a worship service. It was probably something like this. Not this. And he breaks in. And he says, son, I'm calling you to the nations. And I remember walking outside the building I was in. And this sense of euphoria, God had spoken to me. I remember taking off, running down the road, screaming at the top of my lungs because the king of the universe wasn't silent. He had something for me. Now, I wish I could tell you that the next 10 years of my life were a picture of the pursuit of maturity and that I grew and did all those things that you're supposed to do when you're stewarding a call. In reality, I sinned a lot. Uh, I was double-minded, had a very difficult time walking out the promise that God had given me. But you know what? I didn't forget it. I didn't forget the word that he had spoken over me. Even in the deepest, darkest times, I held on to it. So how do we live on mission? The long yes. The long yes. You see, the purposes of God that shape men and shake the nations are not accomplished in a year. They are accomplished over seasons where men and women of God submit to a process where they follow Jesus no matter what he says, and he brings about his purposes through them. So ten, let's fast forward 10 years. I've kind of made it through my rebellious phase, and honestly, by this time, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I'm ever going to see this word come to pass. And I enter into the discipleship school, and it was a struggle for me. And I remember one day in October of 1994, I'm standing in a room, and one of my best friends walks in the room, and he goes, bro, I had a dream about you. I'm like, great. So I do the obligatory, pull out the journal, write the date down, dream from Pete, go, bro. And I didn't have a whole lot of, you know what I'm talking about, yeah? So I didn't have a whole lot of faith in my heart that anything was going to come of this, and then he opened his mouth, and he said this to me. He said, I see you standing on a stage. And you're surrounded by thousands of sheep. And the Lord says over you, Trey, that your preaching, teaching, and pastoring gifts are going to see thousands and thousands brought into the kingdom. And I went, no way. I said, no way. I know me. I can barely manage my own life. How in the world am I going to deal with this? But you know, I held on to it. I didn't just toss it away, even though it seemed like a complete impossibility. There is no way I could ever rise up to it. I didn't let it go. You know, I, one of the things that I've seen over the years is I work with a lot of people. It is my passion to not only see people sent to the nations, although that is my job, my passion is to see people engage the word of the Lord on their lives, whether that be in business, whether that be as a, as a parent, whether that be in ministry, whatever it is, I want to see the church mobilized to walk in the fullness of what God has for them. And the number one thing that I see that takes people out of the game is self-disqualification, where people look at what God's called them to do and say, I can't do that. The enemy comes alongside and says, you can't do that. Don't even consider that. Now, I want to tell you a story about a sweet lady that I know. Her name is Diane Phillips. 
Now, Diane Phillips, at age 18, had a call to the nations on her life. And then through circumstances, some of her own choosing and some she couldn't control, her life got really, really difficult and she walked away from the Lord. Diane is currently in my church planning school. She is 62 years old, 44 years after the Lord had spoken the promise, she's going to the nations. So here's the deal. There's no room for self-disqualification. None. Every single one of you in here is qualified to receive and walk out to the fullness the promises of God spoken over your life. Every single one of you. And right now the enemy is starting to whisper to some of you saying, but not you. It's not true. In the name of Jesus, I speak over you that there is the power and grace for every single, run of, every single one of you to walk in the fullness of what God has. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Come on. Come on is right. I, I want to come on. All right. One of the things that keeps us motivated as we go along the way is a conviction. And that conviction is the inevitability of the word of the Lord. You see, if I am convinced that nothing is going to stop the word of the Lord from coming to pass, it's easier for me to grasp onto it and hold onto it when it doesn't seem like it's possible. Does that make sense? But here's the thing. When God speaks something, in that moment, it exists. How many of you think that at creation, when God said, let there be light, there was a chance that something else was going to happen? But I want you to think about it. If you are convinced that when God said, let there be light, that light was going to happen, what about the things he's spoken over you? What about the things he's spoken over you? Open your Bibles to Isaiah 55, 9 to 11. It reads, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose of for which I sent it. So let's talk about what this means. That means when God speaks a promise over your life, in that moment it exists. And it exists in the heavenlies and it's waiting for you to partner with it in faith, to say yes to it, to bring it into reality on the earth. Does that make sense? So there's nothing he's spoken over you that isn't waiting to be fulfilled. So in 2004, circumstances shift a little bit for us, and we set off on adventure. The long yes starting to come into view. We moved to the Middle East 18 years after the Lord had first spoken the nations to me. Now, 
For me, in my life, the average period of time between God speaks a long word and the time I've seen it fulfilled is 18 years. 18 years of contending, of seeing circumstances that don't line up with the call, but holding on to it in belief that God is faithful and he will do what he said he was going to do. Now, one other facet of navigating the long yes is a willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the call of God on our lives. You see, when we follow Jesus, we don't come to him with one hand behind our back with the things we consider non-negotiable back there and the rest of it offered up to him to do as he will. Because you see, he loves you and he has promised that he will do more than we can ask or think. So anything we're holding behind our back is actually a detriment to us, not a help. Because he's got more than we can ask or imagine planned for those very things that we're holding back. So we have to come before him open-handed, willing to hear and willing to say yes to whatever he speaks. Now, let me tell you a little story about how this played out for me personally. So it's 1996, so back up eight years. We're sitting in Houston, newly married. My wife's in optometry school, studying to be an optometrist, and we get a phone call from my best friends. And they say, we're moving to the Middle East and we want you to come. And I'm like, it's about time. I've been waiting since I was 15 years old for this phone call, and it is time to go. And so I went to my wife, and this is what I said. See, if you would have said this, probably not. I said, baby, I have been called to the nation since I was 15 years old. You have to drop out of optometry school, and we have to go. She looked at me with equal intensity, and she said, baby... I was called to be an optometrist when I was 15 years old. (laughs) There is no way I can go. And I'm in that place of two stewarded words of the Lord. It's not like anybody's being mean. We've both contended for years for these words, and they're both potentially imminent in this moment. So I go to the Lord. I said, Lord, what do I do? And what happened in that time with God, set the course for the next 20 years of our life. He said, son, if you will lay your dreams down for a season and you will get behind the dreams of your wife, if you will become her greatest cheerleader and see everything I've promised her come to pass, the time will come where she will do the same for you. I said, okay, Lord. So I went and told Leanne. She went, And I got a job at an insurance company. But I want you to hear something else. Seven years later, Leanne walked into our house and said, She didn't say son. That's not what she said. Nope. She said, baby. She said, it's time to sell the house. And we both knew what that meant. She was choosing to lay down her optometry for the sake of us seeing the nations reached. And so we moved to the Middle East. Fast forward, we get to be a part of a historic move of God there. 
thousands of Muslims giving their lives to Jesus. Baptized, loving him, lives and families transformed. An incredible outpouring. Do you remember the word from 1994? I'll see thousands and thousands come. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought those thousands and thousands would be men and women from a Muslim background across the world. But God. But God. The sacrifice was worth it. But I want to resolve my wife's story for you as well. So my wife studies hard. She is brilliant. Trust me on this. She studies hard. She gets into the place where she has this incredible business going, and she lays it all down, and we move back. And she has a job working for a local optometrist when a retiring man who had a practice in town came in and offered his practice for sale to the owner of the place where Leanne worked. The owner said no, but Leanne felt in her heart that she needed to go by this man's practice and just drop off her card and say, if you need any help as you're transitioning out, I would be happy to do that for you. A few days later, we found ourselves sitting across the table from this couple. And with tears in his eyes, this retiring man said, for the last three years, the Lord has been speaking to me that it was time to turn my practice over to someone else. He said, I thought it was going to be a guy because I've always wanted to have a protege. He said, but it's been clear from the beginning that it's a woman. And when I saw your business card, I knew it was you. Said, the Lord has told me that my 30 years of working in this practice has been the stewardship of your inheritance. Incredibly powerful moment. Because you see, she'd laid everything down, but God saw. He saw. And the long yes for her came to fulfillment in a dream that had been in her heart since we got married of owning her own practice. He went above and beyond to make sure that the practice would take off and do well, and it has thrived ever since. So proud of the way she responded. So the fuel for the long yes. So we've talked about, I said there's two yeses we're going to talk about. Number one, the long. Let's talk about the fuel for the long yes, and it's what I call the simple yeses, the simple things. In addition to the long yes, we cultivate a lifestyle of obedience, simple yeses to simple things. My conviction, and I've seen this over and over with people, everybody is three to four simple strung together obediences from seeing a major breakthrough in their life. Here's a challenge for you. It's a bonus challenge. For the next week, Every morning, I want you to get up and ask the Lord for one simple thing that you can obey, and I want you to do it. If you will do this, I believe that next week, this whole auditorium will be buzzing with the testimonies and the stories of how each of your lives and the lives of others were impacted by your willingness to say simple yeses to the Lord. Will you try it? Okay, I really believe the spoken word matters. Will you try it? You, everybody heard it, so you've now all got permission to hold one another accountable. Giddy up. All right. The other thing about simple yeses, this is the place that leads us into deep intimacy with God. As we learn to trust him 
in the day-to-day and respond to his voice in the simple things, it is ultimately these simple yeses that lead to the breakthrough for the long yes. You understand what I mean by this? Let me illustrate by telling you a story. So it's 2010. We've been in the Middle East for six years, and we really haven't seen a whole lot. And we had partnered with this company that did follow-up with people who showed interest in following Jesus, and they would pass on people who were potential contacts to us. So the phone call this particular day, particular day goes something like this. Trey, I have two guys here. You can have one of them. The other one will go to another organization. Said the first guy, he's amazing. He's 21 years old. He just gave his life to Jesus. He's saying all he's looking for is a mentor to come alongside him, show him what to do to give him the right strategy, and he wants to see this nation transformed. And my heart is starting to beat. I'm like, Lord, it's the young buck. How awesome. And I'm not even listening as he begins talking about the second guy. He goes, the second guy, he's old, and he's weird. He said he's really sweet, but his story's kind of strange. And as I open my mouth to say, I'll take the young guy, the Holy Spirit arrests me. (laughs) I don't know how else to say it. And he says, after all of these years of you learning to depend on me, you would make this decision without me? He said, tell him you'll call him back. So I said, bro, I'll call you back. I went into my room, and I said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, the old man is yours, Trey. I said, okay. So I called my friend back, and I said, the old man is the one for me. He goes, really? I'm like, yeah, that's what God's saying. He said, okay. The young guy never showed up to anything ever. The old man would be the champion of this move of God that was unprecedented in history. So I want you to catch what happened here. There was a long yes that was happening, but in the midst of it was a short yes on which everything hinged. You see, there's two things you need to take away from that story. One, the Holy Spirit is incredibly ambitious for your inheritance. He is not wanting you to squander it. And he will do everything that he can to interject himself into your life to make sure that you walk in the fullness that God has for you. And the second thing is, I could have made a choice of my will and forfeited the inheritance of the long yes in that moment. Had I told the Holy Spirit, no. Or if I hadn't listened to him, if I had just gone with my flesh, I would have made a choice that would have caused the inheritance to go somewhere else. So the Holy Spirit is incredibly loving and kind, and He is ambitious for us, and we have ability to walk away from what He calls us to. It is why it is so important for us to familiarize ourselves with His voice so that when He speaks, we are easily movable. So the last part, how do we complete the mission? How do we complete the mission? How do we walk it through to fulfillment? Number one, we walk an intentional, intimate relationship with Jesus and the church. We respond to the Lord as he speaks, and then we get the full counsel and accountability of those that we are in this race with together. You see, we can't walk this thing alone. We don't see 
clearly when we're by ourselves. It is incredibly important for us to walk in conjunction with the body so that the fullness of the yes can come into view. Now, let's be clear about what community looks like in this context. We need to be walking with those who are also on mission. We need to surround ourselves with communities of faith and not communities of comfort. Communities of faith stir us up and they press us to, they press us to good deeds, right? Communities of comfort do what I call lowest common denominator living. Because if you live in a community of comfort, the only way everyone can be comfortable is if everybody agrees, which means on every decision that you make as a community of comfort, it has to keep the lowest tolerance person happy. So every decision you make is watered down. Now, how many of you at the end of your life want to be said they live the lowest common denominator life? No. Surround yourself with people who are responding to the Lord and walking on mission together. Number two, we trust that our physical location, our gift mix, or our circumstances can never block the purposes of God. Nothing can block the purposes of God. We are not people who live by circumstance. We are people who live by faith. So regardless of what we see with our eyes, what we interpret, we have to put our faith in the things that God has spoken to us, that they are true and they will come to pass. What should rule the day? The word of the Lord or your interpretation of circumstances on any given day? Has anybody ever realized that your circumstances on any given day change on any given day? You ever been sad in the morning and hopeless and joyful and happy in the afternoon? Yeah, we are not consistent at all, which is why we need God. And we need people who can speak into our lives to keep us on mission. And finally, we commit to the call of God on our lives. We commit to it. And we persevere to the fulfillment of what God has promised. A couple, a few, right after we got back from the Middle East, I was sitting in a restaurant with a group of recent college graduates. And they were asking questions about our time in the Middle East. And towards the end of our time, one of them leaned in and asked this question. She said, how do I know, said, how do I obey God if I don't know if he won't have something better for me later? And I thought, what is this? I hadn't heard of FOMO yet, and certainly not in a spiritual context. <laughs> and I didn't know how to answer it. FOMO's fear of missing out, for those of you who don't know. Um, and I said, Lord Jesus, this is an important question. I don't know what to do. Please give me an answer. And this is what he gave me, and I want to close with this. He said, imagine yourself in a round room of doors. And the Lord highlights one. But you're only willing to go so far as to open the door and keep your foot on it so that you can see all the other doors just in case he highlights another one later. Now, let's imagine that you live like this for 20 years. Where do you find yourself in 20 years? You're still in the same room and you're bitter at God because he hasn't done anything in your life. Let me tell you what we do, beloved. We open the door and we close it. We take a hammer and we knock the handle off. Then we take a bunch of boards and we put them up there and we nail them into place so that old door is no longer visible and we say, yes, God. And we walk forward in conviction that what he has for us is the absolute best.
one of my favorite scriptures, which speaks to both yeses. Uh, Open your Bible to Galatians 6, 9. says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So here we see, don't grow weary in doing good. Pay attention to the small yeses. Keep doing them. For if you keep doing them in due time, you will, and this is an important word, will receive a harvest, the fulfillment of the long yes spoken over your life. As we, translate, as we transition into ministry time, the word, if the prayer teams could come on up. There are calls on your life, things that the Lord has spoken to you. Long yeses and short ones. If the Lord is speaking to you right now to respond to something, we'd ask that you would come up. Let someone pray with you. Let today be the day that the yes in your heart is leading. Lord, we thank you for your powerful, powerful love for us and that you respond to every yes in our heart. In your precious name, Lord Jesus.